So there's already a bunch of factors that are weighing on the credibility and the fairness of the election before it has even started. Welcome to Global Dispatches, a podcast for the foreign policy and global development communities and anyone who wants a deeper understanding of what is driving events in the world today. I'm your host, Mark Leon Goldberg. I am a veteran international affairs journalist and the editor of UN Dispatch. Enjoy the show. Looking for a trustworthy podcast to bring you unfiltered viewpoints and experiences on global health? Tune into Global Health Matters, the podcast that connects silos and amplifies diverse voices to give you a holistic picture. Each month, Dr. Gary Aslanian from the World Health Organization hosts discussions with guests spanning former ministers of health, award-winning journalists and authors, and frontline public health workers. Join listeners from across 180 countries for an exciting Season 4, launching in June. Global Health Matters is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. The Democratic Republic of the Congo is holding national elections on December 20th. The DRC is a massive country with some 100 million people. It is also one of the most resource-rich places on the planet, particularly in the kinds of metals required in consumer electronics and for the rechargeable batteries found in an ever-expanding number of electric vehicles. Needless to say, the politics of the DRC are an issue of global importance. Incumbent Felix Chisichetti is seeking re-election, five years after the DRC's first peaceful transfer of power since the 1960s. However, there are serious doubts that this election will be free or fair. Meanwhile, in the eastern part of the country, an ongoing conflict may prevent millions of people from casting their votes at all. I'm joined today by Zainab Hussein, a political economist at Oxford Economics Africa in Cape Town. We discuss the major candidates and several of the key issues that are dominating the debate as Congolese head to the polls. Top of those issues is persistent conflict in the eastern regions of the country. Eastern DRC has been beset by conflict for decades, the intensity of which has ebbed and flowed over time, However, things are particularly bad right now. About two years ago, an insurgent group that was presumed to have long gone dormant re-emerged with a vengeance. The M23 group, as it is known, is widely understood to be backed by the government of Rwanda and has captured large swaths of territory. Some one million people have been displaced by this fighting. Now, conflict with this M23 group is a key driver of political debates in DRC ahead of these elections. Zaydan Hussein explains in detail the relationship between conflicts in the eastern part of the country and the upcoming election, but we kick off with a conversation about whether or not we can expect this election to be free and fair in the first place. Today's episode is part of a series featuring African voices on peace and security in Africa, produced in partnership with the Carnegie Corporation of New York. 
It's a great episode. My favorite part of which is that Zainab Hussein is a listener of the podcast, which I did not know when I initially reached out to her for this interview. I love it when that happens. Now, here is my conversation with Zainab Hussein of Oxford Economics Africa. To kick off, I'm just trying to get a sense of whether or not we can expect this election to be free and fair in the first place. And if not, should we just assume that Chisichetti will win? Yeah, so that is one of the disappointing thoughts that I'm actually going into this election with, is that there's so much doubt that the vote will even be free and fair at all. So we saw when Felix Chisekedi delivered his State of the Nations address a week before campaigns officially started, the president of the Constitutional Court actually stood up and clapped. And that was kind of like a sign that the two of them are are a bit too close, especially considering that his court has the final, final say over the results if they are disputed in court. That's an interesting anecdote, because here in the United States, whenever the president gives the State of the Union address, the Supreme Court, by tradition, has no reaction, doesn't clap, doesn't stand, just sits there silently. But you're saying that the head of the equivalent of the Supreme Court in the DRC gave a standing ovation to Chisichetti in a recent speech, so that's telling. Exactly. And it also comes after there's been a lot of rumors that the two of them are too close. And it brings into question the independence of the judiciary as a whole, if they are able to publicly display their support for one another. And the presidential election results were disputed in 2018, but they were eventually upheld in court. And I think if it gets to that point this round, the chances of the judiciary ruling in favor of any type of petition against the results is just so small. And we also know that Chisikedi has the support of a lot of state apparatus behind him. And then we've also got a lot of violence in the East, and it's actually turned out that elections can't even be held in some of these areas. So there's already a bunch of factors that are weighing on the credibility and the fairness of the election before it has even started. So I want to get into some more of those issues you just mentioned, but I am also interested in getting your sense on who are the key opposition candidates, even if it seems that the tables are tilted towards Chisichetti. There is still like a robust campaign happening. So who are some of the key opposition candidates that you're following most closely? I know there's like a ton of them, but who are the couple that you think are the most politically relevant? So the one I would put right on top is Moise Katumbi. He is a renowned businessman in the DRC, and he's actually quite popular among the population, not only because of his involvement in business and politics, but also because of his involvement in soccer, which you might refer to as football. Now, I refer to it as soccer. 
Yeah, okay. That's the real name for me. So yeah, he's really involved in local soccer. And he is fondly remembered among the population for his time as governor of the province of Katanga. This is because during his time, he actually managed to revive economic activity in the region. And he did this through investment in infrastructure, through attracting foreign investment, and then also just generally picking up business sentiment in the region. And a lot of working class Congolese have this idea that if he wins the presidency, he would be able to replicate this on a national scale. So there's quite a lot of positivity associated with Moise Kantumbi, and I think that he will be Chisekedi's biggest challenger on voting day. And Chisekedi is very much aware of this, and he's aware of the challenge that Moise Katumbi actually poses to his campaign. And I think that apart from the involvement in the soccer and then also his involvement as governor before, Moise Katumbi as a businessman, he's also got this image that he knows how to run business and he knows how to run an economy. And that's exactly what people need right now because a lot of the people, especially in the capital city, they've kind of grown frustrated towards Chisekedi because they feel like during his first term he has done nothing to improve their socioeconomic circumstances. And Congolese are struggling with high inflation of above 20%. And it's becoming really tough. And then also considering that Chisekedi hasn't improved the working conditions in mining for mine workers, they think that Katumbi would be able to kind of drive this while also driving business and economic activity, which would be good for the prosperity of the nation. So in addition to Katumbi, are there other opposition candidates of note? Yes, there are. So there is Martin Fayulu. He was the runner-up for the 2018 elections. He still insists that he was the real winner of those elections. And although he doesn't enjoy the same type of popularity that Moise Katumbi does and Felix Chisekedi does, I still think that he will be a significant candidate on voting day. So he's not quite as popular as Katumbi, also not only among the populace, but also among other candidates. So Four other presidential candidates have actually decided to withdraw their candidacy and back Moise Katumbi, whereas Martin Fayulu, on the other hand, he hasn't gotten that same type of support. Also, the last candidate who has also been getting a lot of international attention is Dennis Mukegwe, and that's because he is a Nobel Peace Prize winner and he's done a lot of good work in the East with setting up a hospital But unfortunately, these guys, they don't have as much support among the populace, in my opinion, to pose enough of a challenge to Felix Chisekedi's power. Based on what you said about Katumbi, you know, it seems to me that one potential outcome of the election could be that the election is perceived to have been rigged in favor of the incumbent Chisiketi, and that Katumbi's supporters take to the streets in protest, which is you know, what we've seen happen both in DRC and also other countries in the region in the past, is that 
one potential outcome that you are looking towards? Yes, unfortunately, elections do become violent among supporters and also especially if there's this perception that the vote was stolen from an opposition figure that then opens up the floor for some violence among supporters of the various camps. I do think, though, that Chisikedi does have the benefit of the army on his side and he would be able to quash any kind of protests or any kind of resistance that he has to his win, regardless of whether it was legitimate or not. So a broader context in DRC in which this election is taking place is ongoing conflict in the eastern part of the country. Now, this part of the country is no stranger to conflict. There have been kind of persistent violence there uh, for decades now, but over the last year or so, uh, things have gotten much worse with the resurgence of the M23 militia group. They once were thought to have been defeated or vanquished, but kind of seemingly came out, out of nowhere. And by nowhere, I'm referring to Rwanda, to spark deep instability in the region. And now that seems to be a really important driver of instability and also a key issue in this election. Can you just describe what's been going on with the M23 militancy and relations between DRC and Rwanda and how that's impacting security in the region and these elections? So the M23 insurgency has been a massive point of contention since the group researched around November 2021. And Rwanda's alleged involvement in the M23's activities has been driving up tensions between Kinshasa and Kigali. And The importance of this is that each of the main presidential candidates, so Chisekedi, Katumbi, and Fayulu, they have all held campaign rallies so far in Goma, which is the capital city of North Kivu. Which is in the east. Yes. And they know that to get the support of this part of the country is really, really important in order to actually win the presidency. And the fact that all of them have made the effort to go to hold rallies in that area just states its importance. But now I'll get into the conflict and what's actually happening is that since the M23 resurged in 2021, they've been seizing a lot of territory in the North Kivu province. And the army has been unable to hold them back. And even with the help of the UN forces at first, the army was still not able to basically contain the rebellion. And then what they did was they got the East African community to come assist the army. And these troops were deployed there for about a year or so, but it still didn't help the DRC army gain control of the areas that the M23 has captured. So they are expanding their territory in the region, and then they take over that region and they set up kind of like their own parallel economy. So they will charge locals taxes and they'll basically run the show. And the Congolese army has been unable to penetrate that. And what's been troubling is that it was expanding and expanding. And then 
Eventually, in March this year, the East Africa community managed to negotiate a ceasefire. And there was an agreement that the East Africa community force would take over some of the positions that the M23 had captured. But then in around October, either the Congolese army side or the M23 began fighting again. And then since then, there's just been like a constant violence in the area. A lot of people have been displaced. So there are reports that more than one million people actually don't have voter cards at all. So they are already excluded from the elections. And then we've got a lot of violence in the areas that the M23 has a hold of. And two of these areas specifically is Ruchuru and Masisi. And the chairperson of the CENI, the National Electoral Commission, has actually suggested that it's impossible to set up photo stations in these areas. So these people are kind of automatically excluded from the election before it is even started. So the violence in the area that is being driven by the M23 has actually disenfranchised millions of people that are living in the eastern Congo. Has another consequence of the violence, aside from disenfranchising millions of people who are in these conflict-affected areas, been a sort of rally around the flag issue in which Chisiketi is kind of directly blaming Rwanda, the foreign power, for messing with the territorial integrity of the DRC? I mean, is that getting him any support? Is that resonating among Congolese? Yes, and unfortunately so, though, when he held his rally in Goma, which is the regional capital of North Kivu, he actually mentioned that and he pointed the fingers directly at Rwanda for being responsible. And he, But at the same time, he didn't take accountability for not being able to bring peace to the Eastern DRC. So If you remember, in 2018, one of his major campaign promises was that he would bring peace to the Eastern DRC, and he didn't deliver on that. And now I think, although there is evidence that Rwanda is involved in the M23 violence, it's not only the M23 that is responsible for violence in the East. It's also the ADF, and it's also Codeco, and there are other rebel groups that operate in the region, and Chisekedi hasn't managed to contain them either. So by him pointing the finger at Rwanda and saying, oh, it's all Rwanda's fault that you currently don't have peace in your area, it actually creates hostilities among the communities in the eastern Congo. So the Rwandan government is ethnic Tutsi, predominantly ethnic Tutsi, and they are ethnic Tutsi that live in the North Kivu province. So they are Congolese, but they are of similar ethnicity. And then it creates hatred between the communities as well. And the people who belong to those groups that are believed to be responsible for the M23 or believed to be supporters of Rwanda's activities in North Kivu, they are actually subject to discrimination among the community. And that's what's quite a negative impact of Chisekedi's strategy to deflect blame for the violence. So stepping back a bit, are there any other key 
issues you are following in regards to the election? One of the major failures that I would add from Chisikedi was that one of his 2018 promises was that he would renegotiate the deal of the century. And this deal of the century was a legacy of Kabila's time, the former president Kabila's presidency, where he actually negotiated a deal with the Chinese. So the Chinese get some of the Congo's resources in exchange for building infrastructure. And Felix Jesikedi promised that he would renegotiate this deal because it's actually disadvantageous for the Congolese. But yeah, a big deal was made when Chisikedi went to visit China earlier this year, and he hadn't managed to even renegotiate even a small fraction of the deal. And a lot of attention is on that because of China's involvement in the Congo and trying to bring fairness when it comes to resource extraction in the DRC, where the people are not able to benefit from their own resources. And then him not being able to negotiate a fairer deal also is tied into the issues of mine workers' conditions, their working conditions in mines that are sometimes Chinese-owned, and the Congolese population just feel neglected when it comes to Chisikedi being able to stand up for them towards the Chinese during his first term. So another complicating layer on top of all of the conflict in the East is the fact that MINUSCO, the United Nations longstanding peacekeeping mission in Eastern DRC, is coming to a close at the insistence of the government of the DRC. What impact will the shuttering of that mission have, to your mind, on security in the region? And why was that decision made, do you think, by the Chisketi government? So I'll first address the second part of your question, which is why that actually came about. And it was because among the local population, there is this perception that MINUSCO has done nothing to protect them from rebel violence. So even though the force has been in the Eastern DRC for more than a decade, they are still facing the violence that MINUSCO came in to fight. So after the M23 research, a couple of months later, there were actually anti-UN riots in North Kivu, where the people were actually demanding that they withdraw from the country, and the people actually wanted them to get out. They've also accused MINUSCO of getting into agreements with rebel groups, and the civilians believe that this is not in their favor because it merely protects the rebel groups and it does not actually provide them with the security that MINUSCO is mandated to provide them with. So there were a couple of rounds of riots that actually turned violent and there was some instances where the protesters actually looted some of the UN offices and stuff like that. And Chisekedi just kind of, I think, played into this and he decided that he's going to give the population what they are demanding and he's going to 
feed into the sentiment that seems popular and he's going to say, yes, he agrees, the UN forces need to get out. And yeah, they haven't. I don't think up until now they've actually clearly defined the process of this withdrawal. But the current mandate that MINUSCO has is that they will be gone by December 2024. And I think the implications that this withdrawal will have is that there will be a security vacuum. And what is worrying is that it's uncertain who will fill this vacuum. So there is talks already that the Southern African Development Community, SADC, their troops are planning to come in and maybe perhaps they will be able to take up some of the positions that MINUSCO has been holding for the past couple of years. But it's also clear that SADC might not have the same resources that the UN forces does have. And we will only know how much the UN forces was helping with security once they withdraw. So that's also what is worrying is that Yes, there's this perception that they haven't completely got rid of violence caused by rebels, but that doesn't mean that they have not helped at all. And unfortunately, you'll only know once they leave. And that's what's really worrying for security in the region and also for humanitarian circumstances as well. It might just be that they are able to create a sense of security in areas that are not as clearly seen among the population, but those will only come out a lot later. So voting is supposed to begin on December 20th. I take it it's kind of a long process to conduct the vote. What are you looking towards during that process? I'm definitely keeping an eye out for intercommunal violence and then also sporadic violence on the day, particularly in areas that could be opposition strongholds, so like Katumbi's home province, Katanga, and to just see if his supporters are able to proudly go out and vote with, like, let's say, his party's t-shirt on and things like that, whether they are able to freely express their support for the opposition or whether Chisikedi has made use of illegitimate means to try and silence the opposition and its supporters. That would be the main thing that I would be looking out for, because I think it would kind of give an idea of the fairness of the vote. And I think how that would also help is because the European Union, they actually had to cancel their electoral observer mission. So I would have to kind of rely on news reports when it comes to violence against opposition and stuff like that to try and suss out whether opposition supporters could freely express themselves on voting day and also after voting day. But I think, in my opinion, I think that Moise Katumbi could win if he gets more presidential candidates to perhaps withdraw their presidential bids in favor of him. Like I said earlier, he's got four candidates supporting him. If more could come over to his camp, that would help him. But also, I do know that his winning margin would have to be so big that Chisikedi's guys can't rig it in Chisikedi's mm. favor. If Moise Katumbi, for example, wins by a small margin, they would be able to skew the numbers in Chisikedi's favor, unfortunately. 
Zainab, thank you so much for your time. This was great. Thank you so much, Mark, for having me on the show. Thanks for listening to Global Dispatches. The show is produced by me, Mark Leon Goldberg. It is edited and mixed by Levi Sharp. If you are listening on Apple Podcasts, make sure to follow the show and enable automatic downloads to get new episodes as soon as they're released. On Spotify, tap the bell icon to get a notification when we publish new episodes. And of course, please visit globaldispatches.org to get on our free mailing list, get in touch with me, and access our full archive. Thank you.